Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Here are today's top stories. Secretary of State Antony Blinken meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. The talks came toward the end of a high-profile visit aimed at easing tensions. Countering the influence of America's adversaries in the Middle East and Africa, lawmakers from both sides of the aisle want to expand on a certain Trump-era policy. We bring you the details. You get in a fight with your 12-year-old child. They go to school, but never return. NTD speaks with attorney Nicole Pearson about a new California bill critics are calling state-sanctioned kidnapping. Parents have been challenging what they consider inappropriate material in libraries across the U.S. However, a new law in Illinois may put a stop to that. The transgender movement is facing increasing backlash, but how did it come about and what does it mean for today's youth? We speak with a filmmaker on the launch of his newest documentary. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping today during a high-profile visit to Beijing. Both sides pledged to stabilize the badly deteriorating relationship between the two countries. Here's the story. Blinken was wrapping up his two days of high-level talks with Chinese officials as he sat down with China's Xi amid simmering U.S.-China tensions. In every meeting, I stress that direct engagement and sustained communication at senior levels is the best way to responsibly manage our differences and ensure that competition does not veer into conflict. And I heard the same from my Chinese counterparts. We both agree on the need to stabilize our relationship. His trip marked the highest level visit to China by a U.S. official in nearly five years. Beijing turned down defense talks with Washington, an issue that Blinken called a priority to his visit. The top U.S. diplomat urged the Chinese regime contain production and export of fentanyl precursors, which are fueling an opioid crisis on U.S. soil. Turning to U.S. chip export controls, Blinken said the Biden administration didn't try to stifle China's economy, but added Washington is taking steps to protect itself. We are for de-risking and diversifying. That means investing in our own capacities and in secure, resilient supply chains pushing for level playing fields for our workers and our companies, defending against harmful trade practices, and protecting our critical technologies so that they aren't used against us. She said he was satisfied with the progress made during the talks. He said the two nations agreed to resume the program of understandings he and President Joe Biden reached during their meeting in Bali last year. That agenda has stalled in recent months, notably after the U.S. shot down a Chinese spy balloon in February. As top officials' meetings unfolded in Beijing, Taiwan's Prime Minister Chen Jianren said they were also paying close attention. The island is at the center of U.S.-China power struggles. Beijing claims the self-governing island as its own and threatens to rule it by force. Biden said over the weekend that he hopes to meet with Xi in the coming months. Opportunities could arise at the G20 leaders' meeting in New Delhi in September or the APEC summit in San Francisco in November. Strengthening U.S. influence in the Middle East, lawmakers from both sides of the aisle want the federal government to expand its power in the region. Here are the details. Republican and Democrat lawmakers reportedly want the Biden administration to expand the Abraham Accords in Africa. That's to curb the influence of America's enemies. Fox News obtained a letter sent by the lawmakers to the State Department formally making the request. The Abraham Accords are a series of statements between Israel and various Arab nations. The accords open the door to trade, investments, and more. 
The U.S. State Department says on its homepage that countries who sign the accords encourage efforts to promote interfaith and intercultural dialogue to advance a culture of peace among the three Abrahamic religions and all humanity. Former President Trump's administration put the accords together in 2020. Now, in terms of expanding them, lawmakers wrote, We believe this broader framework of engagement can be vital to American efforts to combat endeavors by China and Russia to undermine sovereignty and stability within the African continent. Representative Corey Mills told Fox News that countries like China, Russia, Iran, and others are gaining strength in the region. He says those countries could expand influence if the U.S. doesn't do so first. The lawmakers also wrote, We would request a written response outlining the department's current and future efforts to implement a strategy that advances Israeli normalization into Africa and grows the work of the accords there. NTD reached out to the State Department for comment, but didn't immediately hear back. California lawmakers will vote on a bill tomorrow that critics are calling state-sanctioned kidnapping. NTD's Daniel Monahan spoke with attorney Nicole Pearson from the legal firm Truth Law Facts Justice to find out the details. AB 665 is sponsored by California Senator Scott Weiner and Assemblywoman Wendy Carrillo. Young people are experiencing a new reality. The law would allow kids 12 and up to leave home and check into a residential facility without parental consent. All they would need is a school counselor or another so-called professional person to agree. The law would remove any requirement of an allegation of abuse or incest or risk of serious bodily injury or death. This is a bill about stripping parents of their fundamental rights to take care of their children. Not only that, but their actual legal obligation and ethical and moral obligation to take care of their children without due process of law, without notice, without any allegations of abuse or neglect and without an opportunity to defend themselves before the child child is removed from their custody. Pearson outlines an example. If we have a child who says they don't feel comfortable going home because they had a fight with their mom and dad about TikTok, their Instagram, about bad grades, about drinking and driving or using drugs, whatever the case may be, they have a huge fight, they go to school, they're upset, the teacher sees they're upset, their friends see they're upset, and they say, why don't you go take a break in the counselor's office? They then go to the counselor, who can even be an intern. And that professional person says, well, why don't you go take a break in the shelter down the road um, for a couple of days, let things cool off, and actually a couple of your friends are already there. Of course the child's going to say, okay. They're talking to their school counselor. They think this person has their best interest in mind. They think that they would not lead them astray or do anything that would ever expose them to any danger. Pearson says there are plenty of teens who would take the counselor up on their offer, exposing themselves to unknown dangers in residential facilities. Some such places are known to be frequented by predators and drug dealers. And then you will be facing that uphill battle that will cost you tens of thousands of dollars and months and months of extraordinary pain um, to get your child back when you have done nothing wrong. And all the meanwhile, they've been in these overburdened shelters, um, neglected and exposed to Lord only knows what in the end. Pearson is sounding the alarm on this bill and asking for public support. AB 665 is being heard actually this Tuesday, June 20th at 1.30 p.m. in the Senate Judiciary Committee. We encourage and are actually asking everybody to show up at the hearing. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. NTD reached out to the sponsors of the bill for comment specifically on the allegation that it strips away parental rights. We did not be here back before broadcast. Some Illinois parents want certain books kept out of libraries, curating what kids can see. But Illinois has a new law that bans so-called book bans, prompting some strong reactions. Let's take a look. 
The American Library Association reported over 1,200 challenges were received on books in 2022. The top 13 includes titles such as "Gender Queer," "All Boys Aren't Blue," and "The Bluest Eye." The association says the requests were made over claims of sexually explicit content. Book bans are about censorship, marginalizing people, marginalizing ideas and facts. Regimes ban books. Not democracies. Terry Newsom, president of the Illinois chapter of U.S. Parents Involved in Education, says the Illinois law takes away parental rights. What Pritzker just did is not about freedom. He took away our freedom for us to say, "Hey, some of these materials are not acceptable for our children." Illinois Congresswoman Mary Miller denounced the new law. It's painful. It's outrageous. It would have been unthinkable a few years ago that an elected official, especially a governor, would sign a bill forcing schools to provide pornographic and sexually explicit materials to our youth. However, Illinois Secretary of State has a different perspective on the issue. Parents and only parents have the right and the responsibility. To restrict their children's and only their children's access to library resources. In other words, you get to decide what's right for your children, but you don't get to make that decision for anyone else's. The founder of Awake Illinois and the parent, Shannon Atcock, says she is against banning books, but restrictions should be in place for obscene material. When I was a kid, we we went to the video store to rent videos, and there was the curtain. That had a closed-off section for pornographic content. You didn't have it open. Children couldn't go in. Right? It was available. It wasn't banned, but there was a restriction, and there was there was a policy in place. The new law penalizes Illinois libraries for banning books. Specifically, Illinois libraries must adhere to the American Library Association's Bill of Rights, which states that books should not be removed if they expect to receive state funding from the Secretary of State's office. Some parents are also concerned about taxpayers' money being used to advance what they consider socialist ideology. They point to the head of the American Library Association, Emily Drabinsky, who once described herself as a Marxist in a since-deleted tweet. Do we really want this association to represent our community's value system? Maybe we're not in line with that. It's it's not their money, right? I mean, it's our money. It's our tax dollars. It's our community. While parents worry that other states may follow suit, they also think the new law would feel more parents taking action against the law. The new law will go into effect on January first, twenty twenty-four. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. What's behind the transgender movement, and what are its implications? To find out, I spoke with award-winning filmmaker Tobias Elvahoga about his new docudrama, Gender Transformation: The Untold Realities. The docudrama is the latest Epoch original documentary, and it's been selected for the Manhattan Film Festival, where it premiered Friday night in New York City. Tobias Elvahoga, thank you for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. What inspired you to make this film? Yeah, I was doing research about、uh, transgender, and I came across、uh, some different documentaries. And these documentaries,、uh, they were like show- showcasing some some cases of children who were going, you know, to transition and think that、uh, you know they were going to change the gender into another 
you know, to, to another gender. And what, what actually happened was that many of these cases, they uh, uh, had a lot of bad side effects from these, you know, they start with puberty blockers and then they go on cross hormones. And it was one case that made me, you know, yeah, it was really touching in a way because uh, this, this uh, girl, she, has been, she had been on, on puberty blockers for four years. And she, after that, she could hardly, you know, stand up for more than 10 minutes. She was totally exhausted. Her, you know, the bone marrow density in her body was so weak. And uh, a lot of other things. So, I mean, her whole life was devastated. And her mother was so, you know, sad for letting her, yeah, having, you know, had all this done to her daughter. So uh, after that, I realized the severity of... of what's happening. Now, this transgender movement is something that came up just recently for many people. I mean, I know um, it's been evolving for a few decades, but for many people it's, it's new. What's driving it? Yeah, that's one of the questions we are really exploring in the documentary. So we have some, some um, investigative writer and she's been following the money. And she's been seeing that there's a lot of wealthy people behind this, so, uh, and also companies. So actually there's uh, big LBTQ organizations, and the founders of these uh, organizations, they're actually in charge of medical companies. And this is not only happening in one case, it's like two or three cases, and then makes you start wondering what, what's, what's going on. And uh, there's, yeah, there's other interests as well. I mean, there's hospitals, they're actually openly admitting that or openly uh, telling their employees or, or telling their, the others at the hospital that this is something that we, we make a lot of money from. So there is evidence out there. We, we know that it's a, like 1.5 billion industry for surgeries alone. So it's a, it's a great profit motive. There's a lot going on behind the scenes driving it, it sounds like. As you were making this film, what was the most surprising thing to you that you discovered? Well, the whole mechanism um, that you can, you know, go to a therapist and then the therapist is like, it's not even, you know, asking any questions about your, you know, trauma or your like underlying issues. If you have like a diagnosis, like a, you're an artist or whatever, they, they, they don't do that. In some states, they, they, are, they can't even do it. It's called con conversion therapy. And that really, you know, shocked me because, I mean, for me it's so natural like if you have a if you're going to do something that's really like changing your body changing your whole life and you just approve it and you just send to you know do it straight away and someone is just approving you for me that's shocking that's you know more than shocking it's like really upsetting that and and that's something that we we found out with you know four of these detransitioners that we interviewed they all tell the same story they they like they just you know, and they get the puberty blockers was also really easy to get to go on those. And, you know, it's a, a Swedish doctor actually said in the Swedish program that, you know, uh, the puberty blockers uh, is like a chemical castration. And that's uh, that's what we heard from many other experts as well. So, you know, and think about it. it, it it's, it's chemical castration. It's like something that affects, you know, you, maybe you can't have children in the future. 
and then you're just approved and you're you know sent sent on this path like so easily for me that's that's uh yeah it, it's it, it's been really upsetting what do you hope this film achieves so for me i really hope that the we can see this issue much more clearer and see like how it affects the children how what what interests are behind it if you as a parent don't agree you're like branded as transphobic and you can even lose custody of your your child so it's crazy that's the most fundamental right that you 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 have as a parent that you can you know raise your child and and be a responsible parent and then you remove that and let the state decide such a uh, important matter for me that's crazy tobias elva hoga director of gender transformation thank you thank you Gender Transformation, The Untold Realities will premiere tonight on Epoch TV at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can watch it there or go to gendertransformation.com where you can preview the first 10 minutes of the documentary for free. After the break, a courtroom sketch artist is receiving an unusual amount of criticism for his recent work. His drawings show former President Trump's arraignment last Tuesday. And a majority of Americans say they are more productive when working remotely one in seven admit to only working for half the day. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Palestine is getting closer to China. The Chinese Communist Party established a partnership with the Palestinian Authority on June 14th. To understand what this means, I spoke with Rabbi Yaakov Menken, Managing Director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. Rabbi Yaakov Menken, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, Palestine is getting closer to the Chinese Communist Party, who we know is committing genocide against the Uyghur Muslims, Falun Gong practitioners, and persecuting a number of other groups. What does that say about Palestine? Uh, well, you know, the, uh, the narrative of Palestine has been from the outset uh, more about attacking Jews than supporting the right of, of Muslims or Arabs. Uh, remember that for 2,000 years, the word Palestinian actually was referred to was referring to Jews. So this is like a theft of an entire Jewish identity over 2,000 years that they're claiming now to be the rightful owners of that land. And here we have China backing them while their agenda is really one, again, of, of fighting the Jewish people. I mean, this just kind of proves it because, as you pointed out, China is the largest persecutor of Muslims right now in the world. So an organization or a group or a government that really cared about Muslim rights and Muslim civil liberties and, and just basic rights from torture and imprisonment would certainly not be cozying up to the Chinese right now. What does this alliance mean in terms of China's ambition to shift the balance of power globally? Well, you know, obviously they're, they're casting their lot with one particular side. Uh, by by cozying up. I mean, this is the anti-civil rights, anti-humanity side. And obviously, the West is committed to a certain set of values and individual rights and liberties, which you do not have in China. 
And you do not have, for that matter, under the Palestinian Authority, much less in Gaza under the terror organization Hamas. So it really says something that the uh, this alliance or this coming together is just China trying to increase its power globally and push down the West. Now, China is trying to position itself as the mediator of peace between Israel and Palestine. You talked about some of the moral implications of this before our interview. Um, what, what, are, what are those implications? Well, you know, it, it's basically, first of all, to the Chinese, the CCP, I mean, good luck with that. It, it's, they're not able to be an honest broker if they're in the process of making an alliance, particularly with one side. Uh, this is actually not a, a, a hard conflict, as we see from the West's efforts with the Abraham Accords, for example, which is the most stunning upending of a certain hateful narrative that had been going on for decades, that peace cannot be done or peace is held hostage by the Palestinians. They're just trying to shore up the Palestinian Authority in, in the wake of such a move and say, no, 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 we're going to hold peace hostage. So that's not a real peace effort at all now, is it? Now, Rabbi, we know the Palestine Authority backs terrorist organizations. What does it mean that the Chinese Communist Party is partnering with this kind of entity? Well, you know, it's, it, it all takes us back to that same issue, that here you have the anti-human rights, the anti-individual liberties. Uh, you know, what, what could, quite seriously, if people were willing to talk in language like this anymore, you would call it an alliance of darkness. Because you have the CCP, which is busy oppressing Uyghur Muslims and trampling the civil rights of its own people. And you have the Palestinian Authority, which is trampling the civil rights of its own people. And simultaneously, it's not just a matter of supporting terror organizations. It's paying terrorists, individual terrorists who committed acts of terror. They or their families get substantial financial rewards from the Palestinian Authority under something called pay to slay. And it's actually a real dark mark on the Biden administration that they've resumed funding to the Palestinian Authority while the Palestinian Authority is still paying terrorists. It kind of turns the United States, much less the CP CCP, into a state sponsor of terror. And that's not somewhere we want to be. Wow, that's horrible. Rabbi Yakov Menken, Managing Director of the Coalition for Jewish Values, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. A courtroom sketch artist stands accused of making former President Trump look too good. This was during Trump's federal court appearance last Tuesday. Critics on social media say William Hennessy Jr. made Trump look too young and too thin. One Twitter user commented the pictures aren't inaccurate, but just look like they were based on a 40-year-old photo. Hennessy told the Boston Globe that it's rare he gets any kind of feedback. He told the newspaper that he doesn't editorialize and just draws what he sees. He also said a lot of the criticism came from people who seemed not to care too much for the former president. A win for Maine lobstermen, a D.C. appeals court ruled that the Federal Fishing Agency overstepped its authority with a plan for lobstermen to reduce the lines they place in the water by 98% within 10 years. Lobstermen hailed the ruling. They said the policy sets an unrealistic standard and there's no reliable data that they are hurting whales. The three judges from the court said the National Marine Fisheries Service's legal reasoning was not just wrong, it was egregiously wrong. The rules were designed to protect the North Atlantic right whale, but the Maine Lobstermen's Association said the whale data were skewed against them.
Hawaii's second largest volcano continued erupting today. The eruption has lighted up the night sky. Kilauea began erupting on June 7th after a three-month pause. The Geological Survey's Hawaiian Volcano Observatory recently lowered the volcano's alert level from warning to watch because the rate of lava input declined and no infrastructure is threatened. For many native Hawaiians, an eruption of a volcano has a deep, yet very personal cultural significance. Pennsylvania's Governor Josh Shapiro promised over the weekend that the collapsed stretch of Interstate 95 in Philadelphia will reopen within two weeks. Shapiro joined President Biden on a helicopter tour over the critical stretch of highway. Biden promised 100% reimbursement from the federal government for the first 200 days of the work. Shapiro said the gap will be filled temporarily with recycled foam glass and then paved so that three lanes of traffic can reopen each way. After that, a replacement bridge will be built next to it to reroute traffic while crews excavate the fill to restore the exit ramp. The stretch of the East Coast's main north-south highway collapsed early last Sunday after a tractor-trailer hauling gasoline flipped over on an off-ramp and caught fire. Are remote workers being productive? A recent survey found that nearly three out of four remote workers are scrolling through social media during their workday, and more than a third are shopping. The survey found that one in five Americans say they have taken a nap while on the clock remotely. To shed some light on whether remote work is good for productivity and TD businesses, Don Ma speaks with an expert on the subject. And here with me is Ira Wolf. He's recognized as one of the top five global thought leaders on future of work and HR. So a recent survey says one in seven Americans admit they only work for about three to four hours on average each day when working remotely. Now, this is significant because if you're on a team working on a project and one of your teammates aren't pulling the weight, it could delay the whole project. It could make the product of less quality. I mean, when surveys like these come out, I can imagine why company leaders want employees back in the office. You've had a lot of exposure in this area. You've talked a lot about this. So I want to ask you, what's the core problem here? Uh, I can probably I can sum it up in two words or maybe four words. You know, two is productivity paranoia, and and the other may be hybrid hysteria. Um, there was a study done last year by Microsoft, and they found that 85% of leaders said that the shift to hybrid work or remote work has made it more challenging to have confidence that their employees are actually doing being productive. So when studies like this come out, it resonates. Leaders and managers and and other people jump all over it. But the challenge is, and I wrote about this 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, um, and we used to call it presenteeism. It means people showed up for work, but they actually didn't, they, they weren't doing what the, the managers thought they were doing. So in, in 2005, um, U.S. workers were, were declared to, to be wasting two hours a day surfing the internet, hanging around the water cooler, spending times in meetings, looking for other jobs, shopping online. That was two. That was 20 years ago. Wouldn't there be a conflict when they're working from home to actually, you know, doing their work? Well, it also comes down to, and that's a great point. It also comes down to uh, employee well-being. Um, we we are, you know, certainly have a labor shortages these days. Um, companies can't find enough people. Uh, it looks like our economy is not going to go into recession, or maybe it's going to be a really soft landing. 
uh, and the, the future doesn't look very good for our labor pool. So we're, we're also going to have to take a, employers are gonna have to take a fresh look is that if they are even the same, even if they have the same level of productivity, but the employee stays on the payroll, that they're not, that they are engaged. Uh, Gallup just came out with the report um, about two weeks ago, and they identified that again, almost uh, seven or more than seven out of every ten employees are disengaged at work. One out of five are miserable. They're not very productive. If you're not engaged and you're, and you're not and you're feeling miserable, then you're not getting you know you're not giving a hundred percent of your time. I mean, that's a good point. Maybe perhaps it's it's not about whether working from home or at the office is about the individual. Are, are they a productive person? Maybe you can just comment on that. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're living in a personalized world. Everything's personalized. We go on the internet and they know all our activity. Uh, everybody works differently. What is it that that person needs? Because there are people, by the way, uh, there's a lot of employees that want to come back to the office. But there's other people that it's much more difficult. They're very talented. They have the skills that employers need. Um, but the employers want to treat everybody as an all or none. Companies just have to, to really kind of create a blank slate, look at what's going to work, what do their employees want, where are, where are the employees that they need. And uh, again, uh, going back to t having different metrics, measuring outcomes, not hours worked. Oh, thank you so much today, Ira. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. When we come back, Pakistan said 800 people, including some Pakistanis, were on board a migrant boat that capsized off the coast of Greece. And with the UK general election getting closer, the main opposition party is promising to go greener and block new oil and gas licenses in the North Sea. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Thanks for staying with us. Jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny appeared before a Russian court today to defend himself against new charges of extremism that could extend his prison term by decades. The trial is taking place at a penal colony about 150 miles east of Moscow, where Navalny is serving sentences totaling 11 and a half years. The new charges against Navalny include creation of an extremist organization and financing extremist activity. Navalny, a former lawyer, rejects the charges as absurd and said they could keep him in prison for another 30 years. His supporters accuse Moscow of trying to break him to silence his criticism of President Vladimir Putin, something the Kremlin denies. Journalists were not admitted to the courtroom, but were able to watch a video link from a room nearby with barely intelligible audio. Navalny, the most prominent opposition leader in Russia, was arrested in January 2021 after surviving a nerve agent poisoning that he blamed on the Kremlin. According to Pakistan, the migrant boat that capsized off the coast of Greece last week was carrying around 800 people. The Pakistani government also declared today a national day of mourning as some victims were from the country. A court in southern Greece today postponed a hearing for nine Egyptian men accused of being migrant smugglers 
Witness accounts had placed the number on board at between 400 and 750 people. Greek authorities have said 104 survivors and 78 bodies have been brought ashore. Search and rescue operations are ongoing, although no survivors or bodies have been found since last week. A majority of Swiss citizens yesterday voted in favor of a bill aiming to cut the country's fossil fuel use and reach zero emissions by 2050. Final results released by a public broadcaster showed that almost 60% of voters were in favor of a new climate bill, while 40% voted against it. The referendum was sparked by a campaign by scientists and environmentalists to save Switzerland's glaciers, but opponents say the bill will jeopardize the country's energy security. Voters also approved to raise the country's business tax to the 15% global minimum rate from the current average minimum of 11%. Even with the increase, Switzerland will still have one of the lowest corporate tax levels in the world. Britain's Labour Party is promising to block new oil and gas exploration in the North Sea if they win the next election. It's part of plans to drop fossil fuels and move to greener energy. But the plans have upset trade unions with the fear of losing jobs. The UK's main opposition party has pledged to end all new oil and gas exploration in the North Sea. That's the sea between Britain and Northern Europe. Speaking in Edinburgh, the capital of Scotland, Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer had this to say. The moment for decisive action is now. If we wait until North Sea oil and gas runs out, the opportunities this change can bring for Scotland and your community will pass us by. Starmer has set out green energy plans that he promises will create 50,000 jobs in Scotland. But Labour's proposals have sparked anger from trade unions amid fears of job losses. The North Sea oil and gas sector currently supports around 90,000 jobs in Scotland. Starmer's plans won't end current North Sea oil and gas licences. He said he will only block new ones. A spokesperson from the ruling Conservative Party called Starmer's plan an economic plan to saddle the British people with billions of debt and borrowing. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. Former Scottish leader Nicola Sturgeon is again defending herself in front of the media. That's after her dramatic arrest one week ago in a financial probe. I am certain that I have done nothing wrong. Um, I intend to be back in Parliament in the early part of the week. Uh, I'll make myself available uh, for questions then, uh, obviously within the constraints that I am referring to right now. Sturgeon served as Scotland's first minister for more than eight years and led the Scottish National Party. Authorities are looking into the whereabouts of more than $700,000 in funds for the party. The money was raised by Scottish independence campaigners in 2017. It was supposed to be set aside for the cause, but may have been used for other purposes. Sturgeon was freed without charge after her arrest, but the investigation is still ongoing. In the East African nation of Uganda, a bereaved border town yesterday began burying the victims of a brutal attack on a school by suspected extremist rebels. A local member of parliament said people were psychologically crippled and emotionally bleeding. Everybody's asking, why this community? You imagine they've had enough. They've had a tragic story. And we thought this was a time for our community to have a better story to tell the rest of the country. Terrorists armed with guns and machetes on Friday attacked a co-ed private school just over a mile from the Congo border. 
38 students, a security guard, and three civilians were killed in the attack. Ugandan authorities also believed at least six students were abducted. The attack is blamed on the Allied Democratic Forces, which has ties with ISIS terrorist group. The group has been accused of launching many attacks in recent years, targeting civilians, including one in March in which 19 people were killed. Uganda security forces have stepped up patrols along the frontier with volatile eastern Congo and sent more soldiers to pursue the attackers. Next, a vintage rotary phone sits in the middle of a Washington state forest. Find out how it comforts those who grieve. Details to come on NTD News Today. Welcome back, everyone. A vintage phone in the middle of a forest connects grieving friends and family with their loved ones who've passed away. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the installation and what visitors have to say. This vintage rotary phone looks out of place in this serene forest four miles from the Washington state capital, Olympia. Corey Dembeck installed the device in late 2020 after a family friend's daughter passed away. And like just like two weeks before that, she was like her and my daughter were like in the basement dressed up like Elsa and Anna and they were singing and uh, and I just like I just couldn't I couldn't imagine. He was inspired by the original wind phone in Japan ten years earlier. And like you pick it up and like you just like the moment you pick it up and you feel silly, it just it feels so awkward. And then uh, you pick it up and you just it's like, it's like therapy. Dembeck attached the phone to an old growth cedar tree off the trail. People gradually learned about the phone and started visiting it in droves. So authorities decided to make it an official art installation. During a recent afternoon, Joelle's family visited the phone. Her mother, Erin, grieved. I need the phone. I need, um, I need an outlet. Um, because it's dedicated to my daughter, I think it's different than for someone else to come and use it, you know. Um, yes, it's an outlet um, for me, but then it's also a reminder at the same time. And um, not being able to hear her voice on the other side of that phone can be very gut-wrenching. Um, so I usually come when I'm kind of in like, None of my other coping mechanisms are working, and I'm looking for like a last ditch effort, I guess. Joelle's brothers and sisters take turns telling Joelle how much they love and miss her. They place photos and keepsakes on top of the phone. I love you so, so much. And we all miss you, and we all love you. I know God has better plans for you up in heaven, but I'd still do a lot to give you a hug right now. Thank you for everything that you've done. Moments later, a barred owl lands in the cedar tree above the phone. Owls were Joelle's baby theme when she was born. In daylight? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then just to sit there, perch up there, and just to look down, and as what Aaron said, just look in your soul. There's got to be another message. Like, there's got to be a sign. 
The installation has inspired other Americans across the country. Dembeck has spoken with several of them and estimates there are now 50 such phones in the U.S. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Onions are a world-class superfood. They're versatile in various cuisines and offer valuable health benefits. Here's NTD's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Onion is a superfood in every sense of the word. It can aid in weight loss, lower blood sugar and help prevent dementia. Onions are a great source of nutrients. This includes folate, calcium, iron, dietary fiber, vitamin B6, vitamin C and potassium. Additionally, they are also low in calories and contain no fat or cholesterol. Onions contain natural chemical compounds which can help to fight disease and promote health. Let's look at some of the specific health benefits starting with number one, weight loss. In one clinical trial, 70 overweight participants were divided into two groups. They were given either a placebo or a steamed onion supplement before each meal for 12 weeks. The results showed that taking the steamed onion supplement reduced total body fat. It was especially effective at reducing abdominal visceral fat. Number two, lowers blood pressure and improves cardiovascular health. Onion extract can regulate cholesterol, improve antioxidant capacity, and suppress inflammatory markers. Therefore, it can reduce the incidence of cardiovascular disease. In a study, researchers discovered that onion had better cardioprotective effects than red wine. Number three, reduced risk of Alzheimer's disease and depression. Onions can combat oxidative stress associated with neurodegenerative disorders. This includes diseases such as Alzheimer's. Scientists have found that onions can reduce stress-induced anxiety and depression. They can also enhance memory function. Number four, prevention of osteoporosis. Women who consumed onions daily had 5% higher overall bone density than those who consumed onions once a month or less. This was according to national health data. Number five, improved sleep quality. A study of 30 men and women took place. They were healthy but were dissatisfied with their sleep quality. They were given onion extract tablets. The results showed that these tablets may improve sleep quality and promote a smooth transition into sleep. So as you can see, adding onion to your diet is a fantastic idea. But the question is, how can you get the most out of them? Well, don't discard the outer layers. That's because the outermost layers contain a higher concentration of antioxidant compounds than the middle and inner layers. A host of sporting events challenged athletes across Europe this past weekend. Let's take a look at some of the most exciting moments. The first event is a fierce bike race up a mountain in Italy. The annual competition is billed as the toughest mountain bike marathon in the world. This year, the men's winner was a cyclist from Colombia who completed the course of 53 miles to take home his eighth trophy. The winner of the 37 women's race was from Germany, and it was her second victory. And to Paris, stop two of the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series right in front of the Eiffel Tower. Divers plunged from a diving platform by the Seine River. Athletes from Romania and Australia scored two victories in the men's and women's categories, respectively. In July, Italy will host the next leg of the event. And Austria witnessed a world record. A Swiss man won the X-Alps adventure race for the eighth time. He completed the journey in six days and six hours. About 30 athletes participated in this year. 
They have to run, hike, and fly by paraglider up to 90 miles a day, passing checkpoints on the highest and most iconic peaks of the Alps. Actor Tom Cruise met excited fans outside a hotel in Rome on Sunday. Today, the seventh installment of the Mission Impossible film series holds its world premiere. Cruise walked around outside the hotel entrance and waved towards the crowd. The actor returns to his leading role in Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. The film is premiering in Rome today. Cruise and other cast members also plan to attend the movie's London premiere on Thursday. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.